Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are today in Lesson 66. Last time we covered uh, uh, Zechariah. We were in Chapter 9, and we reached Chapter uh, 9 and Verse 14. Uh, let's uh, continue from Verse 14, uh, where we read, Then the Eternal will be seen over them, speaking about his own people, uh, in essence, not only his own people, but the whole earth, and his error will go forth lightning. The eternal God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. And uh, actually this description has been uh, mentioned several times. Moses was the first one to mention this one, where God shall come from the south, speaking about the end time, the book of Revelation. You also read about that. And uh, in other places, where he shall go forth and like an arrow, uh, uh, like a lightning that will cover the face of the whole earth, so all of humanity is going to be able to to see his coming. It's not going to be a secret thing. That's what he warned his disciples, not to fall for that. When people will tell them, well, he is here and he is there. And verse 15, uh, the eternal of hosts will defend them, speaking about his own people, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if with wine, and they shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. And so when God comes down, he's going to uh, use his people, the remnant of his people, as read in Zechariah later on, that Judah also shall fight in Jerusalem, that's uh, the coming of their Savior and Deliverer. And when he comes and the army surround Jerusalem, uh, the whole earth is going to see it, and certainly the army is going to see it, you know, the armed forces that come to surround Jerusalem, and they certainly are going to be uh, terror-stricken at that time when they see that. And verse 16, And the Eternal, their God, will save them in that day. So speaking again about his own people, the Eternal, their God, the Savior, their God, and so forth. And so you see constantly, God is constantly, all the time, through the prophets, and this God that we're talking about here in particular is the one that became Jesus Christ. He always made it very, very plain that his people are his people forever. They are his only chosen family of all the nations of the earth for a purpose. He's never going to replace them and take somebody else instead of them to do that. And the eternal, their God, verse 16, will save them in that day as the flock of his people. Because he's a great shepherd. So they shall be like the jewels of a crown. As later on you read, well actually earlier we read that in Malachi. Uh, the people that uh, spoke often to one another, God is going to take them and put them like a jewels in his crown. Speaking about the saints. And here he's talking about all of his people. They're going to be the royal priesthood. Some of them will be spiritual. And the majority of them is still physical, but still God is going to marry the whole body. And that's something that people did not understand, not having a background. And so they, they take what, what God makes very plain, is the first fruit... In other words, the ones that he's been calling uh, up to uh, his second coming are just the first fruits. They are the scouts, so to speak. They are the pioneers. And everybody knows, understands simple, basic things, that when an army sends uh, scouts, a bunch of scouts, you know, 10, 12, whatever, maybe two, maybe more, maybe less, uh, to scout the land, uh, the, uh, those scouts, or the, the pioneers that go in front of, uh, of a group, of an army, or whatever it may be, they are not the body. They are not the main body. They are just the fruit, the first fruit. They are the scouts. They are the pioneers. 
and the first fruits that appear on the tree that God said, you take those and give them to the priest, they are not the harvest. That's coming later. The main body is still coming later. And when people don't understand that, they take the, the, the first fruits, and they take the pioneers, and they take the scouts. You know, the first dough, as God said, when he had the, you know, the, the crop of the wheat, you take the first dough and you give it to the priest, they take that, and they think, aha, that's it, the body of Christ, that's the church of God, and that's not. That's a part of it, but it's not the body. That's the first fruit of the body. And those are placed in a special category. You take the first fruits, you put them in a special category. They are very unique. They are very special. They are the ones that are said, uh, uh, said about that blessed are those who are going to be in the first resurrection. This is what they are. It's a small group. It's a little flock, as Christ called, called them. They are not the body. They are not the main body. They are the ones that come in the forefront of it, just like Jesus Christ. And... Uh, when you have a body, a physical thing, you have a head, and Christ is called the head of the body, and the, and the head is not the body. You know, it's all over the body. And yet it is, it is a part of the body. It is linked and attached to it. And so are the pioneers and the first fruits. They come from the same tree where the main crop will come later on, the main harvest, and so forth. So we have to understand the church from God's point of view, not what people made it to be. That's why they are so very confused. And the thing that Christ is going to marry the church, he's going to marry his body. You know, we are the body. Understanding, he's going to marry the entirety of the body, of which we are only the first fruits, the pioneers. You know, and then all those who will come later. And they will basically come, uh, become spirit beings also, uh, at least the way we understand it for in the second resurrection. Unless something is going to happen during the millennium where those who overcome also will become spirit beings, but we have no biblical indication to that. And so again in verse 16, the eternal, their God, will save them in that day. Some people say, well, I've been saved. I call upon the name of Christ, I've been saved. Well, God tells us very plainly, Jesus Christ told us very plainly that he that overcomes, he that endures until the end shall be saved. And that's what he's saying here. The eternal, their God, will save them in that day. That's when the saving comes. Not the day you call, you call upon the name of Christ, you believe in him. That's when you begin the process of salvation. But the saving itself happens at his coming. And so he's, it says, and the eternal, their God, will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness, or his goodness, that is the goodness of God, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. Now, people think, you know, shouldn't be drinking wine. Well, they never got it from the Bible, obviously. And man always goes about inventing his own doctrines and teachings and claiming that it is from Christ and he thinks that he's Holy Joe because he's doing it or she's doing it. And when you read the Bible, it gives you exactly what the mind of God is all about, what truth is and what is not. And there is no need to lean to our own understanding. And those who do are in the category of what God says to Jeremiah, Cursed be the man that puts his trust in man. And when we put our trust in men, either somebody else or ourselves, we're cursed, we're not blessed, because we're going to make mistakes. 
have errors and all those things. Make, you know, make our own ideas a reality and truth, and it's not. It's all in vain. And that's not a blessing. And so, God makes it very plain that these are his people. He's going to save them. He's going to be their God. And they are the main harvest. And the main body is for the first fruit. They're going to be his people. And you can see throughout the whole Bible when God calls his people the first fruit, the little flock. And they are not the church. And this is what confused many. And of course, with the counterfeit church, because it, it came by droves, so to speak, to this concept that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ and He gives you grace and He can do what you want and still get away with it. Well, obviously that was very appealing to many and uh, they came by the droves. They became commercialized, you know, in their, this enterprise of Christianity and nothing of it was of God. And yet His people that He was dealing with were only very few because He's dealing only now with the first fruits. It's not the time for the whole world. That's why it says many are called. The calling yes goes to many, and many are listening to it, and many should be listening to it. Uh, that's the way God does His work. But He's choosing only very few of them because He's picking only the first fruit among them. The main body comes later, and that's when the church is going to be born, when the whole body is going to be put together. And so we continue now with chapter ten, and we read in verse one. Ask the Eternal for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Eternal will make flashing clouds, and he will give them showers of rain. All those things come from God, and people think that's Mother Nature. Uh, grass in the field for everyone. And then he speaks in contrast to the people who do not serve God and go their own ways. Verse 2, for the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore the people went their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. And so God is speaking, but the people were leading these people astray. And they are not obedient to God, and they invent, or invent their own doctrines and their own teachings, and they, and they invent a counterfeit church. And God calls it Babylon, and he says we must come out of it, not be a part of it. And that's the reason why people believe all these kind of lies, and they don't even know, after 2,000 years... When they should have known all along, just by reading the whole, the entirety of the book, from the beginning until the end, to this very day, the overwhelming majority of those who think they do know the Word of God, they still don't know what is the church, who and what is the church, when God made it so very plain. We've covered so far many hundreds of scriptures. There's no reason for people to go astray. And so God is very furious and very angry at those who led his people astray. In verse 3 he says, My anger is kindled against the shepherds. Speaking of the spiritual shepherds, uh, be it the rabbis, be it the ministers, be it the pastors, cardinals, bishops, whatever, all those people that lead these people astray. And I will punish the Godheads, for the eternal of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah. In this case, he zeroes in on the house of Judah, but also the house of Israel, because they too were led astray. And I will make them as his royal horse in the battle. And so what is the teaching for the past 2,000 years, and especially uh, until recently, they don't say it as much, but those who call themselves Christians and other servants of Christ, the members of the body of the true church of God, which they were anything but that, they said, well, all the Jews go to hell because they don't believe in Christ. Well, here is Christ speaking. The eternal of hosts will visit his flock. 
And that's the flock he's been talking about all the time. And also the rest of the house of Israel. They're all lost sheep. They need to be brought back to their God because they've been deceived by their shepherds, by their rabbis, by their ministers, by their pastors. And they all believe lies. And also they are being taught a lot of truth at the same time. And when he mixes the two, it becomes vomit in the sight of God. So God is going to visit his people, both houses of Judah and Israel. And here we, we specifically speak about Judah. And he will make them as his royal horse in the battle. And from him comes the cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that came from him, from Judah. And from him the tent peg, and from him the battle ball, and from him every ruler together. And when you understand the scriptures, you know that God chose David, the house of David from the tribe of Judah, uh, to be the ruler over all of Israel. And they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And you can see it in the Middle East in this last generation. When God brought uh, some of the remnant of Judah to, the, to his land and made them fighters. And, and then continue, they shall fight because the eternal is with them. And all those Palestinians and Arab nations all around that constantly go and scream and shout, Allah Akbar, that is great, thinking that he's with them. This Allah says, no, I'm not with you, I'm with them. And that may, was made very plain in many of the victories that they had against their enemies, though oftentimes they were outnumbered. And when they are going to fall before the enemy, because God is going to punish them, well, that time God is not going to be with them, but God is going to be on the side of the Arabs and the Palestinians, and he's going to do it to punish his own people, Judah, because they have rebelled against him, the majority of it, majority of them are not religious, and they have contempt for the word of God. And unfortunately, sometimes that has to do because of the shepherds of Israel, the shepherds of Judah, who made them hate the religion of God because of the abuse. And they did not teach them properly the, the word of God, and they themselves were not behaving themselves as they should. And so obviously, when people see that, they, they say, well, that's hypocrisy, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So God blames the shepherds, and also blames his people who departed from him. And yet, he said, he's going to bring them back. And he's going to visit his flock, because that's his flock. And also, the other fold that Christ said about that you don't know of, speaking about the house of Israel, they too are his flock. And so here, we basically read that God is going to call Judah, but not only Judah, as we read in verse 6, and I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. And the house of Judah is speaking about all those that join the house of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, Benjamin and Levi, and other sprinklers of Israel, and then the house of Joseph, who was the head of all the other, nation, uh, the other uh, tribes of Israel. So he's talking here in verse 6 about the entirety of the house of Jacob both houses of Judah and Israel. And so he said, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. As Paul would later on say, all Israel is going to be saved and that's why he's saying that. See, he's not an unlearned like all those who came after him that claiming to be followers of Paul, you know, the Pauline doctrine, the founder of Christianity, as many of them regard him to be and they were so ignorant and blind and unlearned didn't know what he's talking about. And he often told them that, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant. He told the Corinthians that our father came through the Red Sea, and so forth. And so he said, and I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. And so what is that doctrine that people go to hell, and all the Jews went to hell? And if they are in hell, that's it. That's the end of it. There is no such a thing. 
That's another lie of the great horror of the Babylonian system. And both houses of Judah and Israel believe it, unfortunately. And they suffered needlessly because of this nightmare. And so God says, I'm going to have mercy on them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. So 2,500 years ago, God already recorded that as reality. And that's how this so-called, you know, the body of Christianity should have regarded it had they been genuine and true. But they were not. They are vomiting the sight of God, full of liars, deceived, blind people who don't know their right from their left. And yet God is going to have mercy on them too because their shepherds deceived them. And they aren't going to be any more hateful against the people of Judah, their own brethren, and also for the rest of the other nations that call themselves Christians, and they are not. It's not enough to call on the name of Christ or to believe in Christ. Well, Satan, the devil, believes in Christ too. He just doesn't obey him. And so are the others too. Verse 7. And so in verses, he says uh, again, uh, I'll have mercy on them, and that shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the eternal, their God. You see? He never forsaken them. I'm Jesus, he's saying. In other words, I'm their Savior, and I will hear them. And verse 7, those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, speaking about the house of Israel. Ephraim is basically the British people. Uh, that is speaking about the English people. And uh, wherever they went, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and different places. And so those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. They're also in Canada and the United States. And wherever they are, God is going to deliver them too from all the deceptions of their shepherds taught them and their lies. And they too are going to be a part of the main body of the church of God. And their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the eternal. And I will whistle for them and gather them. For I will redeem them and they shall increase as they once increased. Where earlier in Hosea we read that they became so many like you know, the sandal on the seashore. So God is going to increase all of his people, Israel. He had never forsaken them. In verse 9, And I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. And they shall live together with their children, and they shall return. So God is speaking about the time when he scattered them all around the earth, but still he blessed them wherever they went. They're abundantly blessed in, in the land of uh, England and the British Isles and uh, Canada and Australia and other places in this country, in the United States. Many of them are here and other places. And then God has said he's going to bring them back. And they shall return. Why? Because they are the church of God, the people of God, the wife of God, that God is going to marry. And God who calls things which are not as though they are, he still regards his people as his wife. And he told them that. And through Jeremiah, as we read earlier, after he sent them away, gave them a bill of divorce, he said, you return to me because I am married to you. So that was only a temporary separation in that sense. And verse 10, And I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. All the places are going to be in, in captivity. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. So there isn't going to be any more Lebanon because that's the land of Israel. And those people, you know, one of these days are going to be faced with that reality. And the uh, majority of them who aren't going to accept it will just have to be sleeping under the ground. 
waiting for a thousand years. And the land of Gilead, which is uh, in Jordan, that too is going to go back. They're not going to be arguing anymore about uh, a little piece of land here and there, you know, land for peace. All the land will be given back to the inheritors, the rightful inheritors and all the squatters who called the children of Israel the occupiers, and they're not, they're the inheritors, they're going to be thrown out of the land. Yes, it is. The majority of them are going to be decimated. Well, that's not because of hatred. That's because of their wickedness. And God is not a respecter of persons. He's going to punish his people, but he's going to punish all the enemies. Verse 11, And he shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river, river of Euphrates, shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in the eternal, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the eternal. See, no more rebellious Israelites. They're all now obedient to him, and God is going to destroy their enemies from north and south. And Syria oftentimes speaks about the land of Assyria, and not just Germany, but speaks also about the land itself and the people that remain there. Uh, when you study history, you realize not all Assyrians went to Germany. Some remained behind uh, in northern Syria and in Iran and uh, Afghanistan and uh, other areas in the neighborhood. And so God speaks about them too. And about all those in Europe, likewise, those in Germany. And God is going to bring them down. And now you see the land of Syria, you know, it's a very little uh, enemy of Israel. Uh, wanting to destroy Israel and having weapons, and one of these days God is going to allow them to use it and bring destruction on his people. As it says, out of the north shall evil come. But that's only to punish his people, and then he turns around, redeems them, and destroys all the enemies. And their lands are going to be confiscated, uh, because they're not theirs to begin with. God gave them long ago to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and specifically Jacob, because Abraham had other sons, Isaac had Edom also, but Jacob, all of his sons are going to receive that land, that's called the land, the land of the Lord. Not just the land of Israel, but the land of the Lord, who is the God of Israel. And so God makes it very plain, he's going to redeem his people. Now let's jump to chapter 12, where uh, we read about a future coming reality, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God of Israel, is going to return to his people. In verse 12, in chapter 12 and verse 1, and we read here the burden, that is the, the oracle, the, the word of God, uh, the vision of the word of God uh, against Israel. You see, it's not uh, for Israel, but against Israel. In other words, God is uh, first talking about the evil of Israel, and he's going to punish them for it, and then he's going to bring them back. And so he says, the burden of the word uh, against Israel, thus says the Eternal, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of men within him. And when God created Adam, Adam still was not alive. He was there, just there, on the earth, not moving. And then he put himself, the breath of life, and that's a spirit. He put himself the spirit that comes from him. And that's why man is in the image of God. Because not only his body looks like the body of God, and God has a body, even though people claim that he doesn't. And they're blind and ignorant, and they don't believe what they read 
And God describes himself as looking like man and man looking like him. You know, he created man to be his son. And your son doesn't look like a monkey, your son looks like you. And so he says he formed the spirit within him. And people say, well, a person has a body and inside him there is a soul and that soul is immortal. And when he dies, goes to heaven or he goes to hell. And uh, that's again, it's a religion of ignorance and blindness and didn't come from God. God puts a spirit in man, and when we die, our spirit goes up to God who gave it, but our spirit, apart from the body, cannot function, can't see, can't hear, can't think, can't talk, can't do anything. And just sort of laying dormant, just like you have the example of uh, somebody brought that example, which is a good one, about the tape recorder and the tape. You know, you take the tape out of the tape recorder, uh, and, uh, you know, you can't play anything. Or, if you take over, if you shut off the electricity, and you try to play, still nothing happens. And so the spirit will be like that. And apart from the tape recorder, uh, nothing happens. And so that's what happens to us. When we die, our spirit goes back to heaven, but it's not in an existing entity on its own. And it awaits there for the resurrection. That's why the need for the resurrection, where God is going to give us a new body, since our body has disintegrated, and uh, who wants to go back into his old sickly body anyway? And then he's going to put our spirit, which he preserved all this time, back into that body. And all that we wear is going to live again. And God is going to deal with that new person all over again. So the spirit remains the same, but the body is new. And when the body receives the spirit, then just like Adam, then it begins to breathe and we are alive. And for those who are the first fruits, God is going to give them a spirit body and is going to put their spirit that is preserving in his heavens in them, and they too shall be alive, and they too are going to be resurrected into the resurrection of life. And that's all it is. God makes it very plain, and it's very simple. A child can understand it. But those who walk in their own way become blind, though they are wise and prudent in their own eyes. Verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. And this is what it is today. And it's getting worse and worse, especially if they are going to debate the issue of Jerusalem. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, which you are uh, seeing now in the process, and they have been doing it, all those uh, Arab armies have been doing it for many, many years. And still there is going to be the great armed forces that will come from Europe to surround that land, and thinking they are going to fight the, the, the coming Messiah that they will believe will be the false Christ, and their ignorance and blindness. Verse 3, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem, God is the one that did it, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. And it's a big headache to all the leaders of the, of the world, especially to the United States. You know, people uh, in this country who do, do not even know who they are. Now, the majority of them are the children of Israel. And even many of the leaders don't know who they are, except the others that do know but many of the leaders of this nation, many of the presidents, were actually from the royal house, linked to the royal house of Britain, which is linked to the royal house of David. As God said, man, David shall never like a man to rule over the house of Israel. And here it is, children of David ruling over the United States and Britain and uh, many other nations and don't even know who they are. Uh, at least many of them don't, but others do know. Because uh, as it is well known by uh, scholars, uh, at least those who look into it, that uh, the House of Britain has a chart 
I believe it is a, it's in the Royal College, somewhere there in Scotland, that has a chart, and Queen Elizabeth is fully aware of it, and many others, but they don't like to make it known. It's not popular nowadays. And that chart links the Royal House of Britain all the way back to King David. So they know where they came from. And not only that, it goes back all the way to Adam. Adam and Eve, through King David, obviously. And uh, verse 3, so we read, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it, because that's exactly what's going to happen. God is going to wipe them out from under heaven. And that's what he's saying. He's going to cut them in pieces. In chapter 14, we're going to see that. Verse 4, In that day, says the Eternal, I will strike every horse with confusion. That is, all those uh, armies that are coming. He's using the old language, obviously. Uh, no language uh, the time knew anything about tanks and, and uh, weapons and cars and all that and armored vehicles. So he's using the old language, you know, for uh, transportation. And it's writer with madness, and I will open my eyes. Christ is speaking here, the Messiah, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah, and I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the eternal of hosts, their God. Because unfortunately, many of the leaders of Israel are not religious. And yet, there are a lot of people in Jerusalem who are religious people, very devout. Uh, they're not uh, knowledgeable as they should be of their God, of their Maker, of their law. And yet, they are devout people. And so that's the way God regards them, in spite of the fact that they are not totally in the light. They are blind in many areas. In verse 6, In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a firepan in the woodpile, and like a fiery torch in the sheaves, and they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem, that is the people of Jerusalem. And so God makes it very plain. If the Israeli won all these wars against the Arabs, and the Arabs had absolutely no chance, no matter how many of them they were, because God was behind the governors of Judah, the generals of Judah, the armies of Judah. And the sooner they get to, to know that and to understand that, the better it's going to be for them, because otherwise their end, as God makes it very plain, is going to be almost utter decimation from under heaven, at least and for this time until God brings them back to life and deals with them in another millennium, a thousand years later. Verse 7, The Eternal will save the tents of Judah first. This is Jesus Christ speaking. So they're not in hell. These people say, well, all the Jews go to hell because they don't believe in Christ. Well, they don't believe in Christ yet, but they believe in the God of Israel. Who is Christ? Ironically, they believe in Christ, they just don't know that he is the one that came 2,000 years ago, and that's the only difference. And so the Eternal will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not be, become greater than that of Judah. And he's speaking about uh, remnants of the, of the house of Judah who are still there, that is, the house of David who are still living in Jerusalem. And some of them know that they are descendants of David. And so, 
all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all that Jerusalem symbolizes the rest of the nation and all the children of Israel out there who think they're Christians and they believe in Christ and they think, well, they, 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 they have a better chance. God says, no, I'm going to save the house of Judah, you know, the one that he had anti-Semitic feelings about all this time. I'm going to save them first. I'm coming back to my own. I came out of my own. I'm coming back to my own. Judah. But God makes it very plain. Who is the church of God? It's not only uh, those who think they are, but the entirety of the house of Israel. But it is uh, a matter of uh, choosing, you know, the Jew first, always. God made it very plain. That's his choice, not man's choice. He says, to the Jew first, and then to the nations. Well, in this case, even within the house of Israel, it is to the Jew first, and then to the rest of Israel. And Judah is the lawgiver, and out of Judah, Christ came. And so in verse 8, in that day the eternal, always speak, when you think about the eternal, think about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, the one, you know, the, the, the bridegroom, uh, the Son of God. In that day the eternal will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the eternal before them. And the angel of the Lord is always generally speaking about Jesus Christ himself, who is the messenger of the, uh, the Father. And he himself is the Lord also. Both of them are eternal. That's what it means. They're both eternal beings, deities. Verse 9. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. And he's going to accomplish that. And verse 10, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. They're going to realize that 2,000 years ago they crucified me, allowing the Romans to do the actual crucifixion, but they were behind it. They wanted it. And speaking mainly about the leaders, you know, the people, most of them were not behind it, really. Uh, but God is, you know, is going to finally open the eyes of Judah to see that they really did it. And they should not deny it, but acknowledge it. And others shouldn't be apologizing for them, for it, because this is the reality and this is what God said. And Judah is finally going to acknowledge what they've done to their God, to their Maker, to their Savior, to their Messiah. They're not going to be playing games with that anymore and claim that, you know, they know better than others and all the others are foolish and stupid and idiots and they're twisting the scriptures. No, that's not true. God is the one speaking here, their God, the, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, Jesus Christ. He says, you pierced me, you crucified me. And even in Psalm 22, he said the same thing, but the Jews later on changed the word there from pierce to lion, you know, to justify. And yet, when you go to the old manuscript, like the Septuagint, you still find, you know, all the Aramaic uh, manuscripts, you still see the original word, again, pierced. And somehow, in this case, they didn't change it. I don't know why. Uh, so they didn't cover their footsteps uh, properly. Anyway, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour the spirit of grace and supplication upon you, and you're going to see me whom you have pierced. Yes, and they will mourn because of that. Now that their eyes are going to be open, they will not deny it anymore that they've done it. And the robbers are not going to lie to them anymore. You know, who lied to them all these 2,000 years, and because of that boat, untold uh, misery and suffering on them needlessly. They cut them off from their own Messiah, their own Savior, their own God because of that in many ways. And so he says, yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. 
and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. See, they are going to fully understand comprehend what they've done and repent. Verse 11, In that day there shall be a great morning in Jerusalem, like the morning in Hadad, at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. That was an event that happened, uh, uh, you know, in history. And verse 12, And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. And if you want to understand what it really means here, God still knows who those families are, that's one thing, and he's going to reveal their identity to them. And so uh, he knows that, and uh, therefore he can write it this way. But the fact that he says uh, the, the family by themselves and and, uh, and the wives by themselves, because the Jews, uh, and the community of Israel, uh, from the days of the temple, uh, men and women don't uh, mix together when they come to pray before God. You know, men here, women there. Of course, the conservatives and the reforms among Judaism rejected that in recent times. But this is how God describes uh, people. And obviously, when you see that, you're speaking about people who are devout and orthodox Jews. And he's not talking about uh, conservative or reformed Jews. And so he's describing that. And basically, the majority, uh, the overwhelming majority, 99.9% of uh, of the Jews in Jerusalem are Orthodox Jews. So this is what he's describing. Uh, The Orthodox uh, Jewish community there are finally going to realize what they've done to their Maker and who their Savior is and who the Messiah is and their responsibility and guilt in it and is going to grant them a a spirit of grace and supplication and uh, is going to remove the veil that is over their head and they're not going to be blind anymore and denying it as they've been doing it for 2,000 years. And that's what Christ is speaking about. The God of Israel, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior who was sent by the Father and whose identity was in, in, in many ways uh, revealed in the Bible throughout the Bible from the beginning until the end where the two lords were always being mentioned there. One is the angel of the Lord, the, the one that was sent by the other person. And then we go to chapter 13. We continue the story. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. God is going to offer them repentance and grant them repentance. And they are going to remember, finally, it is God who forgives. You do not atone for your own sins by repentance. You still need God to forgive you. And that's the reason why every year there was a sacrifice of the goat on the day of atonement. One was for Satan, for the Azazel. Another one was responsible for the sins of humanity. And also one for the Eternal, for the Lord, for Jehovah, the God of Israel, the one that became the Messiah, who himself was symbolized by that sin offering and finally came and gave his life. And so now he can offer forgiveness to his own people. And until this time, Jews reject that concept and idea because they're blind. As God said, he's going to blind his people through Isaiah and the wisdom of their wives shall perish. And so they read the scripture and they don't understand it. But now their eyes shall be open. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. And they shall no longer be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets... Speaking about their spiritual leaders today, they're called rabbis. And I will lead them astray. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. Because there is an awful lot of unclean spirit in the land of Israel today. Many charlatans that claim to be men of religion that have, you know, uh, communication with God. And they do it all for money. 
And unsuspecting people who are blind and ignorant, because they made them blind and ignorant, they follow them and they give them money, and they supposedly heal them, and then they do this and they do that, and God says, you know, these are all people are false prophets. And there is an unclean spirit in them, and they teach them lies. Verse 3, it shall come to pass that if anyone will prophesy, you know, teach, preach, speaking about the rabbis of Israel, and who are liars, and not all of them are, some of them were decent, but many of them are not. You know, and there are many of them were false prophets who are just out there just to deceive people so they can get, you know, make merchandise out of them, make money on them. And you can see them in every corner in Israel. And then his father and his mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live, because he has spoken lies in the name of the Eternal. And his father and his mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. They're not going to tolerate, you know, those lies anymore from those robbers. And uh, there many of them will supposedly bring them back to, to God by telling them not only uh, uh, truth, Yes, they tell them a lot of truth, the rates from the Bible, but also they tell them a lot of lies. Like, you know, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. And that's a big lie. That's not truth. That's not from God. And they tell them about reincarnation. They tell them about going to heaven. And they tell them about the, you know, the five stages uh, after death. And that people are reincarnated and then they come back, you know, stoned sometimes. And I mean, all kind of lies like that. And uh the many, many lies through which, you know, that supposedly bring people back to God are going to be exposed. And when they start and continue to tell those kind of lies, God says even their parents are going to, to, uh, to get, you know, get rid of them, throw them out of the house and beat them up, so to speak, beat up on them. Verse 4, and it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, you know, he's speaking about the rabbis. They're not called prophets today, they're called rabbis. Whatever names, you know, they take uh, for themselves. And they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. And you go to Israel, you see a lot of people, you know, wearing those special garments. They think that's a holy thing, religious thing. You know, they put a mantle on their, on their, on their body. And, and people think, well, that's a holy thing. And so they go on, uh, and kiss their hand, you know, and give them money, and they tell them all kind of lies. God says, no more. All that nonsense. Verse 5, but I will say, but he will say, in other words, when people say, you know, you don't prophesy any more lies, but he will say, I'm no prophet, you know, I'm a farmer. Uh, you know, otherwise he's going to be scared to death. Uh, for men taught me to keep cattle from my youth. So he's going to be lying about that when they catch him lying, you know, and telling uh, lies, because now they're going to know the truth. Verse 6, and one will say to him, well, what are those wounds uh, between your arms? Then he will say, he will answer, well, those uh, which I, have, I was wounded in the house of my friend. In other words, the false prophets are going to be, you know, beaten by their own parents and relatives and uncles and all that who will know that they are lying. And then uh, those false uh, spiritual leaders. And then they're going to sort of uh, apologize and, uh, and come up with stories that, well, that's not really uh, 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 wounds, you know, but uh, that came because I, I, I spoke evil of God or told lies, but, you know, well, I got into a fight. And there are people who call themselves Messianic Jews who read the scriptures and their blindness and ignorance because they've been taught lies also because their preachers and their teachers came from the, from the churches of Revelation 17 and they're not aware of it. They believe in heaven and hell, all the other kind of lies of the counterfeit church. And there's a lot of good there too. And that's unfortunate that they're being deceived that way. 
They read the scripture and think, well, that's speaking about Jesus Christ because he was wounded in his hands. What a foolishness. The scriptures are very plain, speaking about the false prophets. Verse 7, uh, God says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So now he's speaking about his first coming and the, and the, and the fact that God uh, called his son uh, to be crucified for his own people. So he was a shepherd and he was being struck by his own people. And so what it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep. And so his disciples, when he was caught, when he was taken, when he was uh, captured, they were all scattered. So God, God goes back and forth in history because for him it just matter a few seconds. And so he says, and then I will turn my hand against the little ones. You know, uh, the, the disciples uh, were being uh, afflicted at that time because of that. And it shall come to pass in all the lands of the eternal, the two-thirds, and he's speaking about the, the future again, the two-thirds in it shall be cut off. Two-thirds of the people of Israel are going to be cut off and die because of the iniquity. That's the trouble of Jacob. But one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire, you know, the trials and tribulations and the pestilence and the war and the bloodshed and all those things. And I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the eternal is my God. And so God makes it very plain that at the end time, this is what's going to happen to his own people. And two-thirds of them, and when you talk about hundreds of millions nowadays of the house of Israel, the entirety of the house of Israel, two-thirds, that's an awful lot. It's going to be certainly much greater than uh, what happened in the Holocaust 50 years ago. And we're not speaking only about the house of Judah, although here in specific, uh, much of these prophecies are about the house of Judah, but that includes also the rest of the house of Israel. And God is going to destroy, allow his people, you know, to be, to, to be destroyed, at least uh, to a large degree, and the remnants of them is going to still purify, and some of them will still die because of pestilence and hunger and all kind of things like that. But ultimately speaking, is going to bring them to their knees, and they're going to repent and recognize their iniquity and call upon him and know that he's the God, their Messiah, their Savior, and they wouldn't believe all the lies they've lived before, nor teach it to others. And we shall conclude this lesson now. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.